Hello and welcome to the fifth Commune podcast on Metroid Prime Federation Force. My name is Daniel and I am joined once again by my two esteemed, by the two esteemed uh, members of the uh, Federation Force. And they are Adrian. Adrian, please say hello. Hello. And Greg, please say hello. Yellow. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so previously um, in this podcast series, uh, we each uh, chose a level, um, one of our favorite levels that we wanted to explore in more detail. And so we started with um, Mission 19, Incursion, which is my favorite level. Uh, and that level was just a standard you know, arena-to-arena shooting-based level. And then we discussed Greg's favorite level, which was Mission 9, Blender, which is a deliver-and-defend mission where you're pushing a cart through a, a thunderstorm. And now, for this podcast, we are going to discuss Adrian's favorite level, which is Mission 20, Insurrection. Um, now, this mission, uh, it contains a lot of uh, action outside the mechs, and it does some kind of interesting things with player roles, and in that sense, I think it's quite a unique level. Adrian, are you able to give us a briefing on the uh, on this particular mission? Right. So, the mission first starts where you go to investigate an area. Pirate springs a trap, and all th- all players are outside of their mechs. Once they make their way through a sort of maze to the center, they are then dropped then into dropped down into another area where one player is able to obtain their mech, but has to def- defend the remaining players while they are outside of their mechs. This continues until each remaining player regains their mech, and then you face off with the boss and destroy the transmitter at the end of the stage. And so, Greg, what's the main gameplay concept that? that's at play in this level when you are outside of your mech you can't attack at all and you're pretty weak so um in an earlier mission you had to stay outside of your mech and uh, sneak through a stage past enemies and obstacles and so on this stage it is used to create uh what's it called it's used for asymmetrical gameplay where um one of the players gets their mech back pretty quickly, and they have to cover the other players who are sneaking by. Mm. And so these other players, um, they, how to explain it, and the time in which they get back into their respective mechs is sort of staggered out, so it sort of, it starts with, um, I mean, obviously it depends on how many players um, are in the match, but um, in our case it was, it started off and all three of us were outside of our mech, and then there was... Um, one person in the mech and two of us outside and then two in the mech and one out uh two players in their own mech and then one outside and then at the end all three of us in our in our own mechs with all of our um full abilities so we've got asymmetric gameplay we've got this kind of unique player role thing going on and uh, i think as well greg there's many of the rooms are designed so that there are different paths for the different players uh, for the different um, the different paths based on whether or not you're um, inside or outside your mech. Right. Like, uh, there's one part I remember where you had to, the outside of the mech players had to walk along a tight um, ridge and fireballs would pop up and track them, and the user in the mech would have to fire at the fireballs. Cool. So, let's, uh, let's get busy. Let's uh, dive deep into... Um, 
each of the rooms individually. So we'll start off with with the first room, the fireball maze that you talked about just earlier, Adrian. So after, you know, we're all ejected out of their mechs because of a trap that the space pirates spring, each player is dropped in one of the four edges of this maze and they have to make their way to the center. As you make your way, there are a bunch of fireballs like circling around the maze and also a bunch of dead ends. So kind of a, I wouldn't say stealth, but mainly in an avoidance challenge, trying to dodge the fireballs and make your way to the center as quickly as possible. Because the thing is, if you even get hit by one of those fireballs, that makes it so someone else has to go and find your corpse and then bring you back without getting hit by another fireball as you're healing them. What would you say is the core challenge of this level? Uh, uh, sorry, of this uh, room? Yep, it's really just, I would say, movement. It's just a movement-based challenge. Making sure you don't get caught off guard by one of the fireballs and by the dead ends in the path. Um, I noticed that um, in this room, it's sort of like you... Um, you know, like you move in one undirection and then the fireballs are coming from the other undirection and then you so like maybe you're moving you're following on the room around right and then the fireball goes you know it moves on towards you so it's moving maybe you know, like clockwise and then you get to the next section and it's anti-clockwise and so it's it's it often um changes up your orientation and so that's uh and it tries to sort of make you uh, uh catch you off guard and so that's, I, yeah. I think that's probably like the main challenge for this particular room. Yeah. Uh, and then we get to the boulder room, um, which which uh, we um, we weren't very good at for quite a while. Right, Greg? <laughs> yeah, I remember quite a lot of uh, consternation about this one. Yeah. So we, you know, so we were struggling um, in this in this second room, the boulder room. Why was that, Greg? Why were we struggling with this this room? The boulders fall from the ceiling uh, pretty much randomly, or at least I don't think we ever figured out how they would fall. So, um, as the tiny players outside of your mech, it's hard to avoid the boulders, especially as you get up near the top where they're actually spawning, because you have so little warning. Although, I do think eventually we found that there was like a crease, I guess, between boulder spawning points where you could kind of weave in and out more easily. But it's another pretty cut-and-dry moving challenge otherwise where you're just walking forward trying to avoid these giant boulders rolling at you. And uh, what makes it different this time is that one of the players has their mech, so they can try and cover you. Mm. And I think as well, the player, because the player in the mech is naturally larger than the players outside of their mech, it's possible for the players outside of their mech to kind of weave in and out a bit more um, and have narrow misses. Right, whereas the player in their mech, if they don't shoot anything, then they're just going to get, you know, their shoulders hit or something like that. Is it true that in this mission, there's an extra objective, which it's not don't get hit by a boulder, but it's uh, or it's a don't die outside of your don't mech. Don't get hit while outside of your mech. Yeah, okay. And... So I think that, in addition to the points that you mentioned as well, um, Greg, that it, it was also that that requirement which, you know, which forced us to repeat this uh, this particular room several times. Right. This was uh, probably, well, 
I don't know, it felt like the hardest room to do for that challenge. Because every every other room in this mission is, you know, the hard part is enemies, and enemies ha have AI that we can follow and um, work around. <laughs> Whereas the challenge here seemed a little more random. Well, I, I think there is a a pattern with the uh, with the boulders you know, in the sense that there are certain um, timings and spacings between them in which uh, you know the certain spacings that you can um, move in and out of but um, it's still quite a quite a tricky challenge I'm not sure if it's if it's because it could have been telegraph is it determinate where they fall I'm not sure okay but I think the the central concept seems to be to um, identify and move between the spaces between the spawning of the boulders. Yeah. Mm. But again, that can be, it's hard to know if it's um, deterministic or if it sort of has a random element to it. And the other thing is that you've got the shadows as well. And the shadows do cue the player in on, on um, when the boulders fall. But I, you know, I tend to find that although that's really helpful, it, it's often... You see the shadow too late. Right. It's, uh, I'm honestly not sure if you get enough warning time just following the shadow. Hmm. That's not my experience, but, you know, yeah. Adrian, as the, as, uh, well, in our situation, you would often be the player who was uh, inside the mech. Um, and so you can also change the nature of the challenge a bit with your, um, with your charge beam, right? Yeah. Being the player in the mech, uh, I'm able to destroy boulders, and because boulders, there is a, a amount of time that it takes for boulders to stop. So if you see a boulder fall in one lane, you can blow it up with full confidence knowing that it's going to be a few seconds before another one falls in that same lane. Just because you destroy it, another one doesn't immediately fall because, oh, the, the boulder's gone, so we can put in another boulder there. You know, it's not some, like, you know, original Metroid, oh, I killed the... The zoomers, or another, or not zoomers. What are the names of those enemies called? Not screes. But anyways, the point is, is that there's a certain timer upon the boulder being destroyed before it lets out another boulder, and that's how the mech player uh, can enter a role where he can help defend the out of mech players, and then of course he has to go in and deal with the same challenge of trying to weave between the boulders, shooting whichever ones he can. And thing with trying to shoot them, though, is that it makes you slower as you ready up a charge shot. So, yeah. So there's a sort of a push and pull factor there um, yeah. in terms of creating space for yourself, but then at the same time um, limiting your ability to make use of that space. Mm -hmm. What I would try to do is move fast. That's the thing. Is the shoulder thing is the thing that would get me the most because this is a section that I failed just as much in or yeah yeah i like it was just as e likely for me to fail in this section as the ones that would come later because those boulders are lethal i think even on the easiest settings they do uh they're pretty much one hit kills which means that the out of mech players have to get the additional challenge of having to go back into the boulder alley and repair the mech player without getting crushed themselves the three of us um we have a video in the background that we're sort of uh, using as a, uh, as a reference, and it's of a single-player playthrough, and it's quite funny in um, you know, in using this video as a reference. 
you know, we can sort of see some of the differences between um, single and multiplayer. Um, and, you know, a huge difference is that the player gets inside their mech really early. And so, um, at least in the video you know, that we're talking about, um, and which is probably, uh, and which will probably be uh, in the podcast um, show notes, you know, at the three minutes, 35 seconds, you know, it's like, this person's already uh, completed the first option, uh, well, has already completed the optional objective of being unharmed while outside mech. But for us, you know, that was, uh, as you were saying uh, earlier, Greg, a huge point of contention. So it's like, yeah, um, it, you know, this game really does change a lot depending on how many players are working together. You need at least one mech to get through the boulder room, so... Uh, if you're playing single player, you're always going to get your mech gear. Hmm. And then for the later rooms, you know, there's, I, I imagine, there's no real, like, you're not protecting the others, you're just getting, like, it, for someone playing solo, this mission is, you know, similar to um, Incursion in that it's sort of like an arena-to-arena-based shooting level. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't... Arena... Uh, just the connotations or what I associate with the arena, I wouldn't quite call it that, but I, that is a good enough description. Because the thing is, a lot of these happen on more narrow hallways, so there's a lot of risk of falling off the dang platform, which you didn't have in Incursion. There were no bottomless pits in those arenas. Mm, yeah, that's a good point, Adrian. It's more the overall... Um mission is more um, optimized for that cooperative play and so it's not when there is only on the one play it's it's it 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 has a linearity which is um you know a consequence of the way it's been the level's been tailored for um more than one player um speaking of hallways directly after this um this boulder room there's a hallway with um infinitely spawning um, space pirates so um adrian could you run us through this one right so as the you know mech player my job was simply to kill all the space pirates while you guys had to run to the other side uh one major thing that would happen and this is actually something that makes uh what makes it challenging is because of the way because pirates are able to you know shoot smaller players making them pretty easy to screw up the mission what i would have to do is i would have to take out any pirates and then like sort of back strafe onto the platform while trying to watch out for any other pirates and wait for the door to close behind us because even when you think you're in a clear after you kill one pirate another one could easily spawn and then shoot one of the out of mech players and it's like well just screwed one we just screwed getting all three gold for this mission Mm. there is a sort of like an alcove area in which greg and i would hide but I don't think it was sort of telegraphed as clearly um, as as it is in later you know, rooms, which are very, um, uh, you know, which are much more explicit about these um, designated areas where the uh, players outside on the mech can hide. Right. And yeah, and it seems that as well that it's it's just my personal opinion. It's a bit too too easy to for the players outside of the mech to be exposed in that particular hallway. How do you feel about that, Greg? Uh, I don't know. It is what it is. Um, 
it yeah but i mean do you find it like frustrating like did you notice that it was it was often quite tricky for us like for the two of us sometimes to just get through corridors um you know like this one and some of the later ones actually where there's just the pirates keep on coming and you know there's um you know adrian always has to be on the lookout but um you know, but they just keep coming right that's the challenge that we have to make it past enemies without being able to damage them and without taking damage ourselves hmm I guess I'm not understanding what you're trying to get at. I don't know. I find like what would annoy me is that you know, so so you know what I'm talking about when I'm saying that there was the little spot where we would hide and Adrian would move ahead and flush out the enemies in this little There's hallway. like a little tiny corner that's part of the level geometry that I don't think was supposed to be considered cover but would still be useful as cover. Mm. And and so what I guess what I'm saying is that once uh, after Adrian would go ahead and flush out the enemies in this hallway, you know we would then make a mad dash um towards the um, um, plates in the ground, you know, like on the buttons that we can stand on. But as we were doing that, uh, there would occasionally be another enemy that would spawn in from behind us, and I just sort of found that a bit cheap. Yeah. I think it's manageable because what makes it manageable with that first hallway is the fact that there's only one alcult. It's in a really obvious spot and usually only one pirate uh, spawns out of it. It's the later ones when there's like three alcoves. It's a uh, L-shaped hallway that that becomes really hard. Of course, mm, there's also mm. more hidey spots and more places to run into cover so you don't get shot at by a pirate. But yeah, I think the the major trick is trying to with that, see, this is, this is the problem for me, at least talking about this, is that I was never the out of mech player, so I actually don't know what it's like to play it. So, I pretty much, that's why I've been sitting quiet for so long. But what I think is the main challenge of that for the out of mech player is, you know, making a mad dash while also being aware of the space parts behind them. So, you know, run forward, maybe turn around and take a peek, see, hey, is he behind me? And then keep going. Or even run backwards or look at the mini-map. Mm, but I don't feel that the that it's a very elegant way of responding to the challenge, if that makes sense. Like, trying to run forward but see behind you as well at the same time. Like, the way the mechanics right. are set up, it doesn't really support it. I mean, but, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, I agree with you, Adrian. I think I'm getting a bit ahead of myself in this. You know, what we're talking about you know, b- becomes a bit more of an issue uh, in the second hallway, so... I think we'll leave this this bit on for now and we'll return to this topic you know, in, in just a bit. Yeah, I still think the... Well, actually, I still think the major... It's not That's not really a major challenge. I don't know why I said that. Because it really it should be that the, the mech player tries to defend the automech players as best they can. You know, they take the, they take the distraction and keep the pirates away. Then they make the way onto the button for themselves while fending off whatever other pirates, you know are coming into that room mm. until you step on the pad and close them out. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of conversation for a small hallway. <laughs> We're really uh, digging deep here, which is great. Um, so then we get to, uh, I guess, I'm um, the first larger room, which has a split route to it. Um, and there's quite a lot going on in this room. Um, Greg, can you walk us through it? So it starts out and you get a kind of a big vista. 
and um, off to the left is a path that the little guys can take while the mech has to do some platforming through the center of the room and the entire time uh, flying pirates will spawn in and the tiny players will have to find cover in little uh, little alcoves and they even give you a little cover cam so that you can see outside of the alcove further than you would using the normal camera and uh, you can watch for enemies and whenever one spawns in you can hide and then the mech player will have to kill the flying pirate before the tiny players can move on is it true that in this um in this room that the it's it's only flying pirates that are the enemies or are there other types of enemies there's only ones that i remember um adrian um as the person who was taking out these enemies for us uh, what's your uh, recollection yeah. recollection Oh, um, I'm pretty sure it was just a uh, flying pirate. That's why I nicknamed it the flying pirate room. I actually consider this room to be one of the uh, most challenging in the level because the enemies after that, you know, they're not so bad. It's really the bottomless pit and the fact that you have to deal with such a small amount of space that makes it so difficult. I think it makes sense that they would only be flying pirates because you have the two sets of players, the non-mech and the mech players, on entirely different paths. So, in order to have an enemy that is A, attacking the out-of-mech players, and B, attacking, or B, attackable by the mech player, you have to have someone who can not be on a path at all, which would be yeah. a flying pirate. Right. So, mm. yeah, what I was getting at with the flying pirate is the thing that makes it most challenging are the bottomless pits. Because the flying pirates have the ability to shoot missiles. And one of the main ways you can dodge missiles is by sidestepping out of the way. But because the space is so narrow, on occasions, I've accidentally sidestepped my way off the platform and into the abyss. So, uh, it does bring out actually having to shoot out the missiles that the space that the flying pirates shoot. Mm. So, you know, that's a cool thing in this room. It also brings out you having to manage, you know, multiple flying pirates that aren't actually flying near each other. So that's a different type of aiming challenges where you have targets that are actually outside of your viewing range. So you have to manage between them and sort of like manage multiple timers, which is one of the reasons why you don't. This is another level that stresses you not always relying on using a fully charged shot, because if you do, another pirate, you know, out off to your side can you so that's why a uh, partial charge shots are actually super useful especially because you know you, it's enough to stun them so you just keep stunning each of the flying pirates until you know they blow up and of course you know managing whatever uh, missiles they do manage to get off on you but yeah that room is really challenging for that for those reasons it's interesting hearing your comments adrian because uh, i'm not sure about you greg but you know, I found sort of the opposite was true for us, whereas it's quite an easy room for us um, in the sense that the distance between the alcoves are sort of, uh, and the spawning of the pirates is tuned so that um, for the two of us, as we move um, towards an alcove, a pirate will come up. And we'll see it pretty clearly, you know, because of the direction that we're moving and the way that, you know, the camera is you know, facing forward. 
you know, so we'll see a pirate and then we just hide and then Adrian does all the hard work and then it's like, it's all clear or, and we can actually see, you know, ourselves as quite clear. And then we go to the next bit, spawn some more pirates. Adrian, you know, does all the, you know, does all the legwork and we're all pretty, pretty happy in the meantime. So the power distribution uh, is really, um, or rather the responsibility is all put in Adrian's hands and we're just there. We're just along for the ride. Yeah. Um, to compare it to the last room, the corridor, you were, uh, you found it a little cheap that there was no safe spot to hide in once you got to the end and that we had no safe way of escaping the pirate's fire until the door was unlocked. And this room is quite the opposite where it's all about explicitly safe zones and even the timing between safe zones is uh, pre-baked so that you can run from one to the next pretty uh, safely and there's no ambiguity about um, how to be safe. Mm, yeah, that's a great point because I think that this room um, that we're currently talking about the um, um, with the two routes, so that room is a more restricted challenge in terms of the out-of-mech players hiding in alcoves, whereas the first challenge in the corridor is is more, you know, more open-ended, more organic, um, and, you know, less explicit, less, you know, tuned and pre-baked, as you say. So I think it's probably better um, to have a highly explicit challenge where there's, you know, where it's more focused and where um, the players have the opportunity to pick up on this um, aspect of the gameplay first and then apply it to a more freer challenge. I think that would have perhaps been a better sequence, but it's not you know, too much of an issue, I guess. The other thing I want to say as well, um, um, Greg, your description before of, of you walking into this room and there being the sort of vista, it's interesting then because as we're walking forward uh, in the way that other room is tuned, uh, sorry, um, in the way in which the uh, spawning of the space pirates is tuned, a flying pirate will come in and sort of break the vista. And, and it really um, establishes a clear context for the nature of this challenge. And then, you know, that communication is repeated um, two or three times as we move, you know, as the two players, well, as the players outside of the mechs um, move towards the narrow path and are hiding in the alcoves. Um, and then when they're in the alcoves, you know, uh, as you said, they sort of have the sort of the alcove cam, which is a sort of semi Metal Gear Solid um, you know, back to the wall sort of camera. Yeah, it's that when you um, when you're outside of the mech and you get close to the corner of a wall, but you're still covered by the wall, the camera leans out from the wall a little bit so that the center is not um, the center doesn't focus on the wall itself. Mm. Cool. Okay. Uh, just for video reference, if you go to 4 minutes and 20 seconds in the video, I just want to you guys to see the positioning of the space parts and how they spawn in this video, just to give you an idea for being the mech player, just how challenging this room can get and uh, why this room would actually nearly kill me as much as it did. In fact, it nearly kills the, the guy we're using as video reference but th this spawning seems pretty crazy. They're all over. Yeah, there's a lot of um, um, space to it, isn't there? Yeah, there's a point where there are four flying pirates. Yeah, and this is what I was saying about pirates not all actually being within their viewing angle. So it's a more difficult uh, shooting challenge. 
Well, it's good you were so used to using your map. Yeah. Mm. Like, hang on. I want to see. I just want to verbalize. I'm actually going to watch this at two times speed so I can say out loud uh, what the spawning is. So when the mm. player enters the room, you know, there's one right in front of him. But right as he destroyed it, there's already one spawning off to his left that's outside of his viewing cone. So as he proceeds, one actually spawns right behind him, which is so mm. funny, in towards the east of the room while he's facing west. So that's a cheeky bastard there. Another one immediately spawns north. And then there was another one that's just like right in front of him that just comes out of the pit. And he's taking him out really fast. So imagine how many, you know, pirates I was actually dealing with at once. So there was another that comes out to the west. And then another further north of where that uh, pirate came out from the west. So now he's dealing with two. And then one off to the east, which is actually, once again, outside of his viewing range. So he's dealing with three pirates right now. And then another one to the east. So now he's got four pirates on him at once. And then another one spawned out like further <laughs> to the to the eastern corner. You see it? Uh, the northeast. So yeah. And then even another one again from the northeast. So this room is pretty nuts. I can't state enough that how challenging this room actually is to do. I encourage you both to actually try it out for yourselves. This room alone is like the reason why... It comes after uh, incursion. It's like this section alone is pretty damn challenging. And again, it's only after the end of this that you actually have a player get a mech. Well, like, it could be possible that if we had four players, you could actually do this with two people. But even then, that's still two people dealing with the whole thing compared to, you know, incursion where there was three of us. And this one, even when, even with three of us, it's still one person having to deal with it. So even when you do it multiplayer, you still actually have to deal with this by yourself. So that's why this is more difficult. Um, in Adrian, in you pointing out the uh, the different um, directions from which the um, space part, uh, the flying parts, spawn in from, it's it's interesting because there's so much um, dimensionality to it. You know, they go sometimes they're in front of you, sometimes they're behind, sometimes they're behind you, sometimes they're from the side. There's often you know, many coming in from different positions. But again, for Greg and I, it's almost like the spatial game is just Walk, you know, walk straight, like like follow, um, follow the uh, straight line in front of you. You know, like almost one dimensional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. So then we um, we move on from the um, split route flying pirate room onto the second hallway, which is the uh, L-shaped hallway that you were talking about before, Adrian. Um, so this yeah. is obviously um, a different take on. Uh, on the hallway that we were discussing earlier and that we said that we would continue to discuss going forward. Um, you want to talk a bit about this one, Adrian? Yep. So, so much like the first hallway, at first it's just a straight walk, it's just a straight walk with a 90 degree turn at the end. One of the differences though is that because this is actually on a platform, Hang on, wait, is it on a platform? No, it's not. I'm sorry, I'm seeing things. Well, it's sort of, actually no, it is on a platform yeah so you can actually fall off uh if you're bad anyways uh you can see this time there's actually uh multiple alcoves that the pirates can come from so you're having pirates jumping in from different directions the hallway is still narrow enough that you can they're all within viewing range there's three alcoves by the way two on the left one on the right uh the other thing you do you have to take in mind though is that these are elite pirates which means 
they take way more of a beating than the normal pirates, meaning that that's more opportunity for, oh, I'm fighting just this one elite pirate, but then the two that are still around can be shooting at the out-of-mech players, which is what makes this section a lot more difficult than just the first hallway. And uh, and there's also no real... Um... There's no real explicit hiding places for um, the players outside of their mech, uh, aside from being at the sort of um, around the corner of their L shape. Um, and so the distance is quite like it's quite a long hallway um, to get through. Notice that even the uh, even the edges of the room are pits. You can't uh, hold up against a wall. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's also where you have to be be careful because the elite pirates, they actually do, you know, throw grenades. So you want to be careful not to sidestep off the edge even here. It's not as narrow as the room before, but it's still, you know, there's still a bottomless pit around you. Be mindful of your of what's around you. Be mindful of your surroundings. So another thing about the second hallway is that you have elite pirates, whereas the first one, I believe, had a regular space pirates. So that's a... Two different ways that it varies it and makes it more difficult. Mm. So then we arrive at the second um, room with split routes. So there's a narrow bridge area for the um, for the two well, for the players outside of the mech, and then there's a um, I think it's a parallel path for the player inside the mech. Uh, Greg, can you walk us through this one and the and the differences between this and the first? Um, split route room. The mech player has a much straighter path, and it doesn't look like enemies spawn quite so randomly. Um, and outside of the mech, it's more cut and dry as well, where uh, instead of going from cover to cover, it's just walk down along. I mean, I don't want to say corridor because there's no walls, but it, it's basically a straight line. And, um, Hoppers will spawn for both the player outside of the mech and inside of the mech. And fireballs will also spawn from the pit between the two sets of players. And the mech players will have to cover the players outside of the mech. I think because it has that parallel um, design where the two paths move in parallel... Uh, you know, where, yeah, um, two math, where the two paths move in parallel and the... Um, the mech player can always see what the um, what the players outside of the mechs um, are doing and where they're at. I think it. I mean, maybe you can answer this one, Adrian, but it probably makes it easier to read and respond um, to what's going on um, um, on our side of the fence as well. Um, the the other thing as well is that you know it is as you're saying, Greg. It's like a walkway. It's not like a series of platforms um, as well. So. What sort of implications did this have on you, um, Adrian, as a as a player inside the mech? Right. So this room is actually much simpler than the flying pirate room from before, or even the hallway from before, because you're dealing with the elite pirates. So this one, it actually sort of uh, eases tension a bit, as far as the difficulty is concerned. Because uh, here you're mostly dealing with fire hoppers. So yeah, you're on a a walkway where you can fall into lava but you don't need to sidestep that much to dodge the firehoppers projectiles because they're not homing like the space pirates missiles are so it's more manageable 
to deal with the side hoppers as well as fending off side hoppers that may come on the other side. And because the, the fire hoppers on the other side, they can't actually hit you from where they are. At least I don't think they can. And even then, they're usually distracted by the out of mech players. I think the one, uh, probably the most dangerous thing is actually those weird uh, pyrospheres that are thermospheres, whatever they're called, that have a mind of their own and sort of just uh, float towards you. And they do a, quite a bit of damage. It's weird that enemy gets reused from the beginning of the stage, but now they have completely different behavior. Yeah. So are you referring to the fireballs, Greg? Yeah, the pyrospheres. Oh, of course. Yeah. You, sorry, are you talking about the um, uh, in the maze room where they have, you know, where they follow the ring route um, in the maze? Um, right. Whereas in this case, they sort of um, inconspicuously float towards you. <laughs> right. Um, and and in that sense, um, they kind of blend in. Like I I think for the first, well, certainly um, in um, in um, uh, on normal mode, I didn't notice that they were enemies at all. Maybe they weren't even there on normal, but um, but they kind of like just seem like a bit of decoration at first, and then they start moving towards you. I think as well the implication um, for having the fire hoppers uh, on the uh, on the route. Well, uh, yeah, um, on the route for the players outside of the mech. The thing about the flying pirates is that they fire homing missiles that move pretty quickly through space. And so, you know, as a um, as a player outside of the mech on a pretty narrow area, like you can't really avoid them. Um, but with with the fire hoppers, um, their main form of attack is the sort of grenade that they throw forwards, and so. Again, it's really just about engaging with this one-dimensional space where you know they'll fire a grenade. It moves reason uh, relatively slowly through the air, and so you know you can see it coming up towards you, and then you just move directly backwards. So you know it's more about your the line between you and the enemy, and you moving either on towards or away from the enemy. Um, Whereas you know, you're pretty much um, like if you're attacked by a flying pirate and you're out in the open without a mech, you're pretty much screwed otherwise. So I guess at least um, in this, well, I guess there's a bit of development for us players outside the outside of the mech in this situation, in that we actually there is potentially um, a bit of um, back and forth um, between us and the and the enemies at hand as opposed to the space pirates where it's like you know they're so overpowered that we just give in so um or get hit or whatever so you know we can actually read and respond in this case mm -hmm. so following second room with the split path we come into our third pirate hallway now they're the difference this one's more in a c-shape or a reverse c-shape or actually i should say it looks like a banana like, go to 719 in the video. Doesn't it just look like a banana? Anyways, <laughs> uh, this room is wider. The pathway is wider. But and, but there's no bottomless pit. Or there's no lava pit, I should say. However, that doesn't actually make the room easier because, one, there's even more alcoves for the space parts to come from. Two, the consequence of the space being wider means it's easier for them to flank you. So as we're in the first room... It's easy to, to keep the pirates in view, even if there are more of them. In this room, it's actually easier for the pirates to sort of, you know, flank you and go out, escape your view. And 
as a consequence, make it easier for them to shoot the out-of-mech players if they're trying to make a run for it. I think they also, um, it seems like the pirates spawn from hanging on the ceiling and, you know, when, mm-hmm. like, you know, when, you're in, uh, when you're outside of your mech, it's a bit hard to, you know, like they're simply out of your view. And so, um, Greg, I'm not sure if you found on a similar case, but you know, I would find that I'd be running and then bang, you know, there'd be a pirate that would land in front of me or around me. And it's like, okay, I'm screwed. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, there's definitely a reason that this is the last of the respawning pirate rooms. It's the hardest. They seem to come from all over, and they're on top of you all at once. And I think it's the room that made us start using shields. Yes. Uh, you bring us on to an excellent point. My favorite, favorite auxiliary item, the shields. How do we it's use shields, shield generator? Well... Uh, as I recall, we pinned the shield on one of the tiny players, and then they would try to try to stick together. And Adrian, would you try to stay inside the shield too? No, uh, I usually wouldn't fit, uh, and I would also need to focus on the enemies so that you know they can go away. Also, because points were important, so can't get points if you don't if you don't try to kill them. Shields can undo so many of the challenges in Federation Force, but they're also in critically limited supply. Mm. Yeah. That's why when we were going for the all-metal runs, we actually would have to save our shields. Because what we would do is we would have to play those earlier two hallways without using them, so that when we get to that third one, we would actually use them then. That's what happened. Because by that point, there are two... We usually have two mech players. Even then, that hallway will still be enough that Daniel uh, could still get <laughs> shot, which is why we still had to resort to using a shield generator anyways. And that was quite an interesting situation because I'm normally the shield guy. I mean, we'll talk about this probably in a later podcast, but um, you know, I'm the guy who uses the shields, and so we had to set it up. So, you know, um, we set up the strategy where you guys would take on the shields um, so that you could then use them on me. <laughs> yeah. We would go back and forth, actually, between um, you and Greg being the third player because, you know, who, whoever gets to be second and third actually depends on whoever enters the lobby. So I think you both have had an opportunity to be the last one to get their mech. It's right? also the fact that um, any tiny player can enter any mech, although the mech will have um, whatever that player chose at the beginning of the mission. So, like... If Daniel chose the shields at the beginning of the mission, and I took Daniel's mech, I would get Daniel's shields. Yeah, but that'd be kind of gross, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> you, <laughs> you being in my mech. How <laughs> no, good, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a bad joke. Um, actually, but that's really cool. I, like, I mean, we actually realized that at the time, didn't we? It's like, oh, that mech's a different color to my color. And then you jump in, it's like, what? Why do I have Daniel's yeah. items? <laughs> So that's a really neat, neat attribute that it, and it, you know, it makes logical sense, right? You know, like, mm-hmm. well, the fact that your mechs are distributed as they are kind of doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You know, like it's obviously it doesn't fit into much of a fiction. It's just there because it's you know tuned for the challenge. But um, you know, it's you know it's neat in that oh you know those mechs are someone's mech and the items are tied to the mech and not the character. 
um, which has a you know which is much more um, logical. Just another point I wanted to bring up is how a little simple changes like making a hallway wider uh, can change the difficulty of the challenge. Just because you actually end up just because of the way space is so important in this game, and the way the mechanics are tuned to where it actually matters. In a cover shooter, you know, where you're always hiding behind cover, it actually wouldn't matter changing the width of the hallway. Not not by that much. It would change the distance you'd probably need to turn in order to shoot different targets. But here in Federation Force, uh, because you're often fighting out in the open, um, it makes it's makes that much more of a difference compared to other, you know, first-person shooters. So, pointing out the differences between these rooms... I think um, it helps make our point about why, you know, the shooting gameplay in this game is so good. When just that simple change makes such a big difference. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, those strong dynamics at the core is what makes you know, this game really awesome. But we've discussed that. So, But you know, as you say, it's a good example of how, you know, how those dynamics affect everything. Um, I wanted to um, build off of something you were saying before, Greg, where you were saying how we would, um, in some missions, our use of the shield would be such that it would neuter or lessen the gameplay challenge. And But I kind of think of that as a good thing, actually, because I think the designers of this game, you know, they give us a set of tools, you know, like the weapon loadout and... Um, that we have at the start of each mission. And you know, I would say that us, the fact that we as a group were able to um, identify and then formulate a strategy use, um, to get around one of our weaknesses, I think that's a, that's a great thing, actually. I mean, it, it shows that we really uh, engage with the game. Um, although we might not be taking the challenge head-on, we've found an alternative um, means of um, overcoming the challenge. Yeah, I think that's always great. In fact, the player playing this also uh, making the challenge simpler for themselves by using um, a bot chip so that their missiles do extra damage and then decking themselves out with so many missiles that they take out enemies in one hit. Of course, even in hard mode, you notice that he actually comes uh, near death a few times. And even in that hallway, he actually still manages to take a hit. And on hard mode, just one hit took out a third of his health. So, yeah, this game is still pretty tough. Mm. So the next room that we arrive at um, is a bit of a, um, like, a arena room. And it's in this room, well, at least for the three of us, um, that we had the, um, uh, that we could pick up the final mech. So what we have in this, um, uh, in this arena room is we actually first have a bit of a pit stop where the player can um, pick up some... Um, weapon drops from some of the pots that are scattered around here um, and then that leads into uh, into this final section which is like an arena or like a pool you know, like if you imagine a, a drained uh, backyard swimming pool and the player outside of the mech um, they have to move around the sort of the rim or the outside um, of the pool along the you know the raised platform that arcs around uh, and then you've got you know, like this pit in the middle where the enemies spawn um, so for most of the time that we 
played through this mission, um, I was usually the last person to um, to get into their mech. And so what this would mean is that I'd have to take that trek along the outside rim so as to get to my mech, which is in a raised um, area. And there are two sort of um, alcoves along this raised sort of balcony. And as as you're walking, um, as you're walking past them, space pirates will just sort of spawn on top of you. And um, so you're very, very vulnerable in this position because, you know, there's a, <laughs> you're outside of the mech and there's pirates that are very close to you. And that I think, at least based on my own experience, they tend, like, they tend to focus their attacks on you uh, if you don't run straight past them. So yeah, so it took us a few tries, but uh, eventually we figured out that that you just have to run straight past them and then get back um, into your mech. And I thought it was a bit set up a little bit of trial and error in that sense, at least if you were going for all three medals, because it's so easy um, to get hit because the pirates are so close to you. Um, more so, you know, like if we think of the other rooms, you know, the the enemies are mostly um, separate from the players outside of their um, mostly separate from the players out, who are outside of their mechs, except for the firehoppers, but they have pretty predictable patterns. But with the space pirates, um, you know, they're much more intelligent, and so um, there's a lot of um, uh, there's a high chance in this room that you can um, mess up that extra objective. But otherwise, um, you know, once you get into the mech um, and all of the players, you know, back in their mechs, it becomes like um, uh, similar to Incursion uh, in that it's just like an arena-based shooter. And so, Adrian, did you want to run us through through this part, the actual, I guess you'd say, the inside of the pool? Right. So... Uh, as a single player, you actually can start taking out enemies without having to enter the pit. It's certainly helpful for taking out the space pirates that get in the way of the out-of-mech player. Because usually Greg and I were both in our mechs at this point, I think Greg would usually be the one to go down, or I would be the go down. One of us would hang up top and defend the other player, while the one in the pit does the best they can to take on the enemies in there. Another big deal about this part with the pit which is why you want all three players as fast as you can is there's a boss in here it's our good old friend colossan but unlike in blender which we covered last time colossan's not by himself he is with he is mixed in with the space pirates and both varieties of space pirates the elite the elite pirates and the elite troopers so got a good mix of enemies in there and that's what makes this encounter you know, so difficult. In um, in the notes that we took, I put that there's a truckload of elites, um, or elites and troopers. <laughs> like there really is just heaps of uh, pirates uh, in this case. Um, yeah. And one of the uh, tactics that uh, you know that I would do is I would um, um, with my loadout I would equip a few of the ice uh, of the freeze beams so that you can just you know quickly freeze a pirate charge shot and then shatter them just so that you can kind of you know control the chaos um and that's a tactic that you know we would often um use for those more um um more dense confrontations where there's a lot of um enemies coming in at once yeah 
It's also where tucking your, away yourself into the corner isn't actually that effective. Uh, one, because of Colossan, he doesn't take hit stuns, so if you're in the direction where he throws his little grenades, uh, you better hightail it out of there. It's also the mix of troopers and pirates where, you know, troopers are just going to run at you, so they love nothing more than a sitting duck just waiting to get stabbed. So, in this arena especially, without any cover at all, you're going to be moving around a lot, and it's, it's, to me, a clear reason why they put, they set this up at the end of the level, and also why it's set up at the late, this late into the game, because this scenario doesn't actually happen in the mission you picked, which is the mission right before this, which is Incursion, where, well, no, it's sort of the same thing, yeah, they mixed the Ice Titan, which was a boss-like enemy with the other ones, here they mixed Colossan, the major difference between Colossan and the Ice Titan is Colossan doesn't actually take hit stun, which is why they which is why they did this setup instead of the one in Incursion, because of that difference. Also, they're mixing in elite pirates, which are tougher than, you know, the roly-polies and the, what are they called? The Zerberats, because Zerberats usually die in one-charge shots. Space pirates, even at the weak points, take several charge shots. Mm. Yeah, especially elites. Yeah, also the fact that Space Pirate AI is more complicated because the fact that the elites do, you know, move around straight and try to dodge you. And they also have various attacks. The other reason is that this arena is actually much smaller and you can't do what you could in Incursion where you could hop on top of the pillars and find yourself in a nice safe zone because the other enemies alongside with the Ice Time are all melee type enemies. Here you have a mix of projectile and melee, one of them being a, the boss. Hmm. You know, it really is, um, like, it kind of reminds me in a way of um, uh, the multiplayer in, like, New Super Mario Brothers, um, like, uh, in that series, where they sort of have, in this case, it's more of a, it's more of an open environment, and um, as you were saying, there's not really many places to hide, and so it's up to the players to work together so as to cover each other's backs. And so it just allows um, sort of that element of the um, player dynamics to um, come into focus a bit more. Although I think mm -hmm. for us, I don't think we had a particularly um, conscious strategy um, in that sense for this particular confrontation. We just sort of tried to shoot better and, um, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we didn't really... Yeah do like a back-to-back -back sort of situation or anything like that right you could we couldn't really do a, a triangle formation or anything like that it's it, the troopers are really the ones that sort of break up that sort of tactic just because they're the, gonna be the ones that run and slash you or jump in the air and dive at you mm. also the Colossus little grenade lob you know you you can't actually I don't think you can actually shoot that out of the air, so that's another way where it forces you to break up. He's kind of like uh, the Titan in Left 4 Dead. I don't know why I just thought of it, but it's like it's an enemy that's specifically meant to great break up the group. Why did I call him the Titan? I think he's called the Tank. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? How? Um. Although you know, in the first podcast we talked about. The, the strong nature of the uh, spatial dynamics um, in this game. 
and we've also, um, you know, by talking about these levels, we've focused on the player cooperation and the player dynamics. But in in our experience playing through this game on um, on easy and hard, well, sorry, on normal and hard modes, we haven't really. I don't feel as though we've actually, you know, used sort of any back to back cover each other's back sort of um, cooperation really it's been more much more discreet task based uh, role based there was in the the drill level oh okay yeah yeah okay fair point yeah right well i just speaking from the way i played uh well one thing is that daniel you actually did usually use a shield generator in this portion which mm, helps, yes. helps out a lot uh, but the other is that I actually do sort of pay attention. Like when I noticed you would freeze an enemy, I would often use a charge shot I have ready to shoot at him. There would also be moments where I actually would shoot at enemies that were at your backs because that corner strategy didn't work in this one. It doesn't work in the level after this too. Uh, they actually have a lot of ways where they break up that that uh, put your back to the wall strategy. But even then, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess because there are those elements that are um, that are there um, to you know break up our movements. It's sort of the tactics that you were describing. You know, are just tactics. You know, that are sort of reacting um, to what's happening uh, within the uh, in the moment onto moment gameplay, as opposed to having a strategy that pertains to us having particular formations within open space. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm sort of laboring the point here, but it just kind of occurred to me that, you know, at one point in the campaign we sort of talked about, you know, covering each other's backs, but then it kind of quickly became something else. Like we just, like it kind of got lost in the breeze. I'd have to review the footage of us, you know, playing, but I don't know. I just felt like we, we did hit a point where we had to sort of be more aware of the other ones because I, I remember one thing that happened as we were going for high score runs, or even just during the main campaign, is that one of us would accidentally jump in front of someone else, and then we'd load off a charge shot into each other's backs, and it's like, well, crap, I just wasted a charge shot because I shot Greg with it. Or something would happen where we would both fire a charge shot at the same enemy, basically one of us wasting a shot. So I actually became uh, far more aware of that as we progressed through the game and progressed through our completion of the gold and platinum medals. Same thing with uh, using the minimap a whole lot more. If you mean, like, uh, appreciating subtleties of playing around in the same space and uh, making sure that we focused on enemies intelligently and uh, didn't get in each other's way, then, yeah, I think it's only natural. Because I didn't always have to verbalize that, oh, hey, Daniel, there's an enemy at your back. I would actually usually just shoot it for him. So he doesn't get stabbed in the back. That's actually the most prevalent in the room that comes up next, where you guys would both go after the transmitter device, and I would just stick to taking out anything that would uh, get cheeky and try to hit you while you weren't looking at them. Right here we need that image uh, from Richard's blog of the uh, of the squeeze, and I think that's what you're talking about. That as the game gets difficult, you appreciate its nuances more and more. And especially like when uh, 
you know, in a multiplayer game, those nuances are going to be so rich because a lot of the nuances are just in us. Yeah. I think um, another self-imposed challenge we could do is we could try to play this mission, but we can't take any shield generators. See how that goes. I remember there were definitely a lot of parts where it was critical, like in that part. Um, I had to play the upper part outside of the mech once, and I only did it with a shield. <laughs> yeah, I think actually that became uh, uh, a strategy in the end because it was just too too much left up to chance. And so, you know, again, uh, as you know, as I said earlier, we were um, we'd sometimes use the shield as a way to mitigate parts of the challenge that we felt we couldn't respond well to or that may be unfair or maybe a bit of a bump in the design or something that hadn't registered for us so and that was a you know example of that right i think we could totally get that mission though without shield generators you know Take away the crutches and go buster only. We could definitely do it. <laughs> the other thing I was going to uh, say to add to your earlier comments, Adrian, is that, um, and, you know, because of my role primarily being outside of the mech for the first half of this confrontation, I'm not really sure about the uh, distribution of enemies for that first half. But I, but I know that as, the, um, as this particular confrontation um, rolls on, that a number of the space pirates are spawned within the little um, doorway um, mm -hmm. at the bottom of the pool. And so that kind of uh, allows us to keep the enemies, well, to better anticipate their entry uh, into the environment and to also, you know, sort of create a bottleneck, like to use that um, bottleneck in the environment to predictably clear off some of the challenge. Yeah. Something that... Uh, I do like about Federation Force, you know, yeah, the spawn points are obvious, but I actually think that helps to the challenge that you know where they're coming from, especially in scenarios like here, where you're dealing with so many enemies at once. It helps that you know where, where they're coming from, so they can never get the jump on you where it's like, hey, I just finished clearing out these three enemies, but then just one just hit me in the back that wasn't even here earlier. It's like, no, you know where they're coming from, so... You can you can deal with it. I thought part of your point earlier with this mission was that there are times when... I'm, well, actually, I think both you and Daniel had spoken to this, that there are times in this mission where you really can't tell where enemies are going to spawn from. Like, especially the um, flying pirate section. Oh, you... Uh, no, you can tell where they're coming from because, one, you can hear them. To me, what I was getting at was the main challenge is that it's it's a different shooting challenge when not everything that you have to shoot at is within your view. So that's what I, that's what I was getting at with that, and that it's a much harder shoot, shooting challenge because you have to keep doing, you know, a near 180 every time versus slightly adjusting, you know, like maybe 10 degrees or something to shoot the next pirate that's right next to you that's a different shooting challenge and a more difficult one where you need to you know aim farther in order to hit targets things are harder to shoot at when they're farther apart from each other in terms of orientation 
there we go. That's a simple way to put it. And that's what I was getting at with that. Okay. So that <clears throat> having to bring something into your view is distinct from not knowing it's there from at all. Right. And there's the other two points I made earlier about you can, one, hear the space pirates because they're pretty loud. But space pirates like to scream a lot, so that's fun. Also, they made that noise whenever they fire their missile. So just hear, like, just hearing that, I'm like, oh, missiles, time to shoot them out of the air. Even when I'm not look directly looking at them, which is another way that's really helpful in dealing with that section, is using those audio cues. The other is that they do appear on the minimap. And one of the things that I got more accustomed to over time was actually glancing down at the minimap below just so that nothing uh, surprises me from behind. So you have enough information to know that they're there. It's not going to just spawn out from behind you and then hit you just like that. Which and because this section is more closed off, and but the spawn points are more obvious. There's no, you have enough information to keep that from happening. So a trooper doesn't just jump in and then slash you right as he got in. That's really uh, more your fault if that happens because you know where they're coming from, and again they also make a lot of noise, and you have the mini map. So something that we noticed as we played was that at the bottom of the pool, on the floor, there is a kind of a funny circular symbol. And we realized that that symbol appears to be the map of the, of the first room of this level, which is, um, you remember, which, which is the fireball maze. Wait, let me see this. Oh, yeah. Is it? Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it's pretty. I think so like, it's really neat. Like, they actually use the level design from um, from a room earlier on as part of the um, um, decoration later on, which is really clever. I wonder if they do that any other times in the game. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> uh, anyway, so then we get onto uh, the transfer uh, the transfer device room, and we've talked about this before uh, in the. Um, um, in the level that I chose, which was an incursion, so two podcasts ago. And uh, I remember that when we talked about this particular um, room in, in, um, in incursion, you know, I mentioned that you know, it's um, in these later missions, it sort of becomes a, um, like a regular occurrence, it being a final room for the last few missions. And what it is, is you've got this, um, this shaft, in the middle, you've got um, these targets, these um, yellow targets that are moving um, up and down. You've got um, a ring that is also moving up and down at a slower speed. And then you've got these kind of, um, I, I'm not sure how to describe them, but these kind of um, coverings, these sort of slat-like coverings uh, as well. So you've got to wait until the until the yellow targets are exposed which involves you know waiting for them to move uh, um, following their own timer you know as they move up and down at a fixed time interval and also the timer um, of the uh, of the outer ring which is you know blocking your view and then of course you know um, and then of course you've got the slats as well that are obscuring some of your um, uh, which are obscuring um, and protecting the um, um, the yellow targets from any bullets. So the actual time in which these targets are exposed is quite short, which really stresses your ability to um, 
um, to follow multiple timers at once. And this is different to, well, off the top of my head, I can't quite remember specifically, but um, it's, uh, it's certainly different from the previous um, transfer device rooms, which I'm thinking, uh, what's the difference? I think they didn't have the coverings and they didn't, and maybe they had the ring. It was either or or both. <laughs> I can't quite recall now. I think they start out stationary, and then the targets start moving, and then they start covering up the targets in different ways. And it gets, I mean, by the end here, it's pretty crazy, all the different variations they have on the target, and it's pretty hard to hit. Mm. Um, I mean, I say all of this cause, um, because I think it was um, myself and Greg, right, who would um, who would try to shoot our, the yellow targets, whereas Adrian was defending us. Have I got that right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, what was this room like for you guys then? Well, I would just try to stay away from enemies and try to make sure I was positioned opposite from everyone else, so that you know you don't need two guys shooting at the same target. So, I would try to cover a unique space on the um, cylinder. So that would mean that you'd have to uh, keep an eye on the map as well. Like, I mean, so, so I guess I'm trying to get to a point here, which is our view is um, fixated on the transfer device, and we use the gyro to you know to um, adjust our aim and to target the um, the target on the yellow um, targets. But um, our dev- uh, our viewpoint is fixed, and has implications for how we um, engage with this challenge. I mean, I guess I should have been looking at the map, but usually Adrian would just cover me, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just doing my job. Um, I guess, I guess as well, it's like, I mean, I didn't actually look at the map either, really. Um, But I think going into the, going into the room, would it be fair to say that, you know, Greg, you'd say, go west and I'd go east and we'd just kind of follow the flow. Yeah, clockwise or however we decided to go. Mm. So just an interesting note, um, watching this in single player, if you're further towards the back while shooting at them, you can actually still get a glimpse of the troopers that are in front of you, just a little, just barely at the bottom of the screen where you can see, you know, their heads. So, you know, it's still doable. It's doable even in single player as far as like keeping them in view. Uh, anyways, we actually have our notes from the previous mission. And what we wrote was that the one in incursion was there had it was no ring. There was stationary yellow targets and there were no slats. And here the target yellow targets move up and down. There's this ring that's also moving up and down. And you have these slats that block portions of where the yellow targets uh, would move vertically. As for the enemies in the room, uh, they actually ease up the tension with the enemies a bit to where there's mostly, because really when you think of what's the hardest part of the level, it's actually the room prior, but here they ease up a bit and you're dealing with the more basic pirates and troopers. There's still some elite troopers around, but they're in much fewer numbers compared to the previous room. It's your deuma that Greg likes to say. Hmm. I'm just um just just to try and build off what you're saying, Adrian. Um 
I'm just watching the video for the next mission, um, mission 21, uh, which I think is the last mission actually, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. Well, second to last. It's a bit hard to tell from the video, but if I remember correctly, um, this trans, um, in either mission 21 or if it's there in mission 22, later on there's another, like, uh, there's an additional layer of um, variation where the actual um, cent center um, pillar is rotating so that um, so that the yellow targets are not just moving vertically but horizontally at the same time. So you've got to take into right. account you know, that extra factor. The transfer device is only in the last batch of three missions, 19, 20, 21. 22 is when you know, you're in the Doom ship itself. There's no need for a transfer device. Uh, and you've got to take on the uh, master brain, yeah, which is, which is actually a, a sort of a similar challenge, although it's much simpler and there's more enemies. There's more of a focus on the enemies around you, and the brain doesn't put up much of a fight in terms of um, targeting specific parts of its body. So that just about wraps up uh, mission twenty incursion, which should make this a decently long podcast <laughs> yes so i guess a conclusion you know that we um a way that we could summarize this um this level is to say that there are um that uh, the main idea is about um the different types of player uh, the, the different types of player roles that are created um when certain players are inside the mech and other players are not inside their mech and this idea is only done in this level there um it's the level overall is a series of uh, larger rooms and hallways, um, which are kind of like sort of their own distinct ideas. And throughout on the level, each of these um, um, uh, each of these two types of challenges has its own form of variation. And for the larger arenas, that form of variation primarily comes in the way in which uh, uh, in what enemies are present, um, whether they be uh, uh, flying pirates. Um, hoppers or in the final um, swimming pool arena just um, regular pirates um, and then in the end it, uh, it turns into an arena based shooter um, mm -hmm. the likes of what we saw in, um, uh, in the previous mission in mission number um, 19 which is incursion except there were more, uh, fewer places in which we could hide and there were a swarm of very um, high-tier enemies. So um, so in that sense, you know, we, um, it was much more, like, it, it was a much more challenging recap. And then it finishes off at the very end with another um, uh, transfer device. Was it transfer device? It, uh, yeah, yes. Um, with, with another transfer device room, which is also... Um, a riff on the theme from the prior levels. <laughs> I think that kind. Of, I think that kind of captures it. But it, you know, all these details, like like it's hard to just shrink these details down into a abstract high level form. <laughs> yeah, I think there's actually one comment I might have left, and it's that the flying pirate room, um, especially compared to the second split room, is a pretty big spike in difficulty. Because it's, I think even with four players, you're meant to deal with that room 
by yourself and the second split room even with the player by itself is considerably easier than that flying pirate room i think that's probably the only oddity and difficulty design in this level otherwise each section uh, does get progressively more difficult it's especially clear with the hallway sections where the players have to run past the pirates but for the ones in the more open rooms where it's really the mech player doing all the action while the out of mech players are uh, trying to hide away that there's a strange spike towards the beginning it dips down way down in the middle and then you get your arena shootout in the end that's about it i don't know what you guys think about that yeah no i think that we we have kind of summed up in that way um, by putting those two pieces together um greg is there anything that we're missing from this summary of this uh, particular level well a lot of the variation comes from space and i think that i mean well that's what you said initially that um just exploring how different player roles uh, inside and outside of the mech can be explored and I think you know 90% of that is just how stuff's put in space yeah so you know like we are um, like we're like we're physically separated um, at different points um, you've got the bridge structure you know you know where we've got the where the outer player mech play, where the out of mech players have their own route and then um the players in uh, in the mech have their own route and it's all based on uh an entry into those areas is based on on the player's size which is a bit of a lock um so again you've got um spacing that ties into it so good um so i think we've we've covered what is a pretty um sorry i think we've covered pretty comprehensively what is a, a a very thoroughly designed uh, and one of the more interesting levels in Metroid Prime Federation Force. So so we've all chosen our three favorite levels, but I think for the next installment uh, in this podcast series, we're planning on taking a look and uh, at every other level and not going too in-depth, but just providing you know, our overall thoughts on each level in a bit of a bite-sized format of what we've been doing um, for these past three levels. So until then, uh, we'll, we'll see you in the next podcast. Later. See ya. Signing off.